Hello and welcome to the Film Pulse Podcast. This is episode number 380. My name is Adam Patterson. With me today, we've got Kevin Rakestraw. Hey, Kevin. Uh, hi. How's it going? It's, you know, it's all right. Nice. All right. Hanging in there. Let's just... Yeah. It's all we can hope for. Just hang hang on. Just hang on. One day at a time. Yep. This week on the show, we'll be taking a look at the devil all the time, along with some of what we've been watching on the watch list, and talking about this week's new releases on VOD and Blu-ray. Thank you so much for joining us this week. Please remember to review us on iTunes if you get a moment. That would be super helpful. Quick housekeeping note, we are recording the new Saved by the 90s episode for September this week. Should be out later this week. Pretty excited about it. We're talking about, get this, offbeat comedies released in September of 1998. So we were able to to hone in on one specific month and year and talk about four offbeat comedies. Damn. Yep. Yep. It's a lot of comedies. I'll give you a hint. Offbeat too. I'll All offbeat. A, yeah. I'll give you a little clue. Uh one of them is a John Waters movie. So that yeah. was that was fun. But yeah, check that out. That'll be coming very soon. Keep an eye on uh Twitter and all of that and we'll be announcing its release. With that I think we can dive into our review here we're talking about the devil all the time this is uh, directed by antonio campos i have a synopsis here sinister characters converge around a young man devoted to protecting those he loves in a post-war backwoods town teeming with corruption and brutality this is adapted from the novel by donald ray pollock and it shows big time. I mean, sometimes sometimes when movies are adapted from novels, you can't really tell. But this one is is very very evident. I'm not saying that's good or bad, but it's actually narrated by Donald Ray Pollock. Yeah. And that's the first question I have for you, Kevin, because you typically hate narr- you hate narration. You just hate bad. that shit. Bad. It's bad. Okay, not a fan it's of the narration dumb. by Donald it's Ray dumb. Pollock. This is dumb. It makes it feel like too much of a novel. It feels like a like, '90s movie to me, like um, like yeah. the Shawshank Redemption or something, where or or like uh, you know, one like the Green Mile. I don't know if there's narration in those movies. Actually, I, I'm pretty <laughs> there. There definitely isn't Shawshank, but like it just reminds me of it's it's the narration coupled with the like the time period coupled with the the score. It has this very kind of very earthy score and it, it all feels like one of those types of movies to me yeah and i think unfortunately like it's tough because i like uh pollock's voice but at the same time like his narration doesn't really it didn't add anything like it, it crops up once in a while but he doesn't really add anything to what you're seeing it just felt kind of unnecessary it was a little jarring at first, but I got to say, like, I didn't hate the narration. It didn't bother me as much as it did in some movies because this felt like it was kind of a storytelling type movie where to me it fit more than most movies that have narration. Although often there were there were several moments where like I was watching it during the narration and I was thinking like, what would this scene be like without this and does it add anything and tip usually the answer is n- like no not really overall eh, i could have 
I could have done without it. Now the rest of the movie. This is a this is a pretty large scoping tale here. It mainly focuses on Tom Holland as uh, Arvin Arvin Russell, but mm-hmm. but it it's it's a lot more than that too. I mean it it starts off with talking about his father, who's played by um, uh, Skarsgård. Why am I blanking on his Bill? Bill Skarsgård. Yeah. Who, by the way, has gotten a lot better as an actor since I first saw him on that, whatever that Netflix show was, that was really bad. Mm. Hemlock Grove. Hemlock Grove. Oh, okay. He was rough. He was rough in that movie. And, And after seeing him in, like, other things, I have to wonder if he was a little green during that movie or that show or if it was more of the directors not being very good <laughs> i don't know <laughs> but anyway he was he was good in this and then you have these other kind of side stories going on basically it's just about a town that's just so filled with corrupt awful people doing corrupt awful mm-hmm. things pretty much it's uh it's definitely a lot of misery a lot of misery in this movie for sure yeah, well, I mean, it's the devil all the time. All the time. Seven, every day. There's no breaks. There's never, there's never reprieve from the devil. The devil never takes He's coming off. at you from all angles. He's always got stuff cooking. He's a busy guy. Hell of a cast in here. You got Robert Pattinson playing Preston Tea Garden. <laughs> <laughs> Delusions. I love that. <laughs> uh, we definitely have to talk about that. Then. I mean, <laughs> what what a what a role for Pattinson here. I love. I said this while I was watching it that <laughs> I love that there's all of these diehard like tween girls who are still huge Robert Pattinson fans and f- like follow him, ev- like follow everything that he does and in recent years, they've been forced to watch movies like the devil all the time and good time. And all of these, you know, not huge Hollywood blockbuster movies that he's been doing. And I just love it. It is is wonderful. Uh, I I love, I I love his choice of, of accent that he goes with. And I loved reading about that. He just absolutely refused to work with a dialect coach considering everyone else did. And he was just like, no, nah, I'm going to come up with my own thing. He just did his own just thing. Gonna do my, I'm going to do my own thing, which I absolutely love because if you're a movie, you know, you're adapting this book that's set in like 50s slash 60s Ohio Valley area, right? So you have this period piece with the very distinct people. And then your entire cast is just Australian and British. It's like, you know what? No. It's like, let's not do a dialect coach. It's your fault for casting all these people that aren't American. So I'm just going to make up my own thing. I well, just love that choice. I think, I think for a lot of actors, a lot of like British, Australian actors, it's easier for them to do the Southern accent than it is to even mask the American, just the regular yeah, American but accent. It's funny because it's Ohio. <laughs> it's not even. 
Yeah, but you know, you know damn well the people in those areas have that accent. People in York have that accent, for God's sake. Yeah, but still, it's just like, you know, it just seems unnecessary. seems like a waste of money, too. The coaches? The dialect coaches? Yeah, to be like, okay, I'm going to have this huge, expansive cast, and 90% of them are going to be Australian and English, and then I'm going to force you guys to work with dialect coaches in order to get the Ohio Valley accent. Yeah, I mean, sometimes I think it's it, it would make more sense. Like, if it, if it was set in Baltimore, like the Baltimore accent, that's a tough one. That's a toughie for people yeah. to to really nail down. But, yeah, I, I, I can see where you're coming from there. I mean... And I just, I, and I don't know, there's just a part of me that really appreciates Robert Pattinson just being like, nah, you know what, I'm going to just come up with my own that effect. <laughs> just going to do my own thing. I mean, it worked. Yeah, I loved the character. Yeah. He, he was such Didn't a hear. scumbag in this. He was just, just like constantly sweaty and gross and <laughs> <laughs> loved it. And the, the, uh, the scene with the chicken livers and all that. He, oh he, man, he was so great in this. Stick two fingers right in there. Disgusting, yep. fucking pervert. Uh, so you have Riley Keough in there as well, uh, along with uh, Jason Clark, who play this murderous couple roaming roaming through the town, killing hitchhikers. You have Sebastian Why Stan. Not? Sebastian Stan, who gained seemed to gain a lot of weight for this role. At least 20 pounds. And he plays this corrupt sheriff. Uh, did you say it was Eliza Scanlon? She's in there from Baby Teeth earlier this year. Oh, yeah. Mia Wazakowski, who had, or Mia Wazakowska, which mm-hmm. I haven't really seen her in anything in a long time. She was like, she was huge there for a while, for a stretch, mm-hmm. right? It seemed like she was in everything. And then she just kind of disappeared for a little bit. Yeah. A little. I don't know. I don't know what happened there. Maybe she's just very being a little bit more selective about her roles. And then you have Harry Melling as as Roy Roy Lafferty, who you see in the trailer dumping dumping a jar full of spiders on himself. I love that. Oh, boy. I love that he gets bit by one of this. This is not a spoiler because it's like it doesn't even happen on screen or anything, but. There's a plot point where he gets bit in the face by one of the spiders and his head blows up like a balloon and he stays inside of a closet for like weeks. Ah, <laughs> uh, really? He was a he was a particularly skeezy character in this as well. Pretty much everybody. Pretty much everybody except Tom Holland. <laughs> it's like Tom Holland. And then, like, and all the women, and all the women, yeah. So I was just gonna say, all, all the all the female characters were fairly normal, but I mean, they don't really get to do much. They they essentially just wait around until violence happens to them, which is, I think, the number one issue that I have with this movie. Not necessarily that, but that plays into where all of these characters just felt very, very one dimensional. Like they didn't really feel like fully realized people. They're just you're sort of introduced to this cast of characters and it becomes pretty evident right off the bat that we have accumulated all these people and then they're just going to either kick the shit out of each other or kill each other at some point in time. They're going to cross paths 
and someone's going to die and buckle in devil all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A lot of and them, just, a lot of them play archetypes for sure. Yeah. They're just like, they're not people. And it's just, it's really, it's a bit much. I, I agree for the most part. I think that, I think that some of the characters were a bit more complex. I thought the Bill Skarsgård's character was slightly more complex than, than the others. Even Tom Holland though, like didn't, even though he was sort of the central character. He only did like one thing. Yeah. He he learned one thing from his father and like, that's all he did. That's to beat the shit out of people. And just wait, like I just sit and wait for my time. Bides his time, beats the shit out of people. It pounces, pounces. Uh, yeah, it's a uh, kind of a kind of a kind of a nasty little little movie here. Uh, definitely has some uncomfortable moments. There's some grisly violence in here. Uh, not not a lot of joy can be gleaned from this movie for sure. Uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, that that said, I, I thought it was fine overall. I didn't have too many like major issues with it. This certainly isn't going to be a movie that I remember a lot of details from by by the time you know the end of the year rolls around. But it feels like it's uh, maybe above average for Netflix. Yeah, I did. Yeah, definitely. Um, it's, it's, a, it's fine. It's fine. I, I think it's Antonio fine. Campos has a good eye for uh, the camera. Like, I, I think that a lot of the cinematography looked good. I liked a lot of the, a lot of the framing and a lot of the camera work. I thought was was quite good. Uh, I like movies that take place in this area, so that that was kind of uh, it. Kind of already had that going for it for me. But yeah. I've been into what Campos has done in the past. I, I liked Simon Killer and I liked Christine. I think I liked Christine. This, is, it, this, this didn't feel like an Antonio Campos movie to me, though. Like, it didn't have, like, any of his stylings to me. This just felt like it was made by anyone. Like, you could make up a name and I would believe you. You'd just be like, you know pick any random name and say that's who directed it and I'd be like, oh, okay. Makes sense. It felt like a, like maybe like a Jeff Nichols movie. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. I was, yeah. I was getting some Jeff Nichols vibes Good in there. You, you could be like Kevin, directed by Jeff Nichols. Did you see the new Jeff Nichols movie, The Devil All the Time? I'd be like, oh yeah, totally. Fits right in with Jeff Nichols. Au revoir. I, I think so, yeah. I would definitely would not pick Antonio Campos as the director of this movie. No, no, it doesn't. It doesn't hold a lot of visual similarities to Simon Killer. <laughs> yeah, or even like After School. I didn't see that one, but I'll take your word for it. Yeah, I mean, it's it seems like his prior movies between uh, Simon Killer, After School, Christine is. Like he at least had like some sort of exploration of violence, whereas this movie just there doesn't seem to be anything in terms of like an exploration, right? It's just violence. 
Right. Like, like I said, it's just people being introduced in the beginning and they're like, they're going to kill each other at some point. So just hang around and see who survives. I kept thinking throughout this that I bet this works better as a novel. Like I just, well, yeah. I didn't read the novel, but something tells me that the, 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 the nuance of these characters is probably explored a lot more deeply in the novel. And something tells me that a lot of that stuff was condensed down to fit within yeah. well, a, a movie. Yeah. And that's the thing that ultimately bothers me with movies based on novels, especially when they're done like this, where like all that nuance is taken out. And essentially what you're left with is just like a bullet point plot points. That's it. We're just going from, you know, it's just distilled down completely to plot. And if you're into that type of movie, it's, it's fine. It works that way, but I'm definitely looking for more. Yeah. Overall, uh, maybe, maybe a little bit, let down with it. I can't say that my expectations were at any specific level for this. I was mainly interested for the director and the the cast in this. And I will just reiterate that I think the cast across the board did a really great job. Um, like everybody, everybody was great. Even, even like Mia Wasikowska had a very small role in this. She didn't really do much, but when she was there, she was quite good. And, what a tragic character arc she had in this. I mean, every like, yeah, that's, that, that's, I think that that's the thing to remember going into this is like a lot of the, the only good people in this movie, a lot of bad things happen to those good people. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, you do get to see a guy jump, drop a, a jar full of spiders on himself. So that happens pretty early on. Yeah. So you could just, well, you said it was in the trailer, right? It is in the trailer. Yep. Watch the trailer. You can do that. Peace out for the day. You get a whole bunch of shit done. I mean, it's almost worth it just to see Pattinson as the skeezy preacher. Yeah, he is. He is. Uh, he does do a pretty solid job in that role. Because, like, there's, he's so pervy. <laughs> yeah. And you can, like, the way Pattinson plays it is, like, no matter what he's doing, there's there's this, like, his character's horniness is at the forefront somehow. But it's not overt. Yeah. <laughs> it's just really skeezy. Super skeezy. Just, he and has the, an aura of horniness. Couple, yeah. And then he couples it with that, with that accent, which I think just, like, amplifies it in a way. It just it works, mm-hmm. and he's not even in it that much either. No, no, he's not. I mean, he doesn't get top billing or anything like that. I think he, him, and Mia Wasikowska are at the at the end where it says like with with Robert Pattinson and Mia <clears throat> Wasikowska. So he's in it more than I expected. I, I didn't think he was going to be in it as much as he was, but yeah. Um. Anything else? Anything else to add about the devil all the time? If you're looking for a really de- depressing experience, yeah, go for it. <laughs> exactly. I mean, just in terms of uh, like filmmaking and such, there's just not a whole lot of anything memorable to me outside of just the bleakness. 
I will say, and, and bleakness. I've seen I've seen plenty of movies that are darker and bleaker than this. Yeah, most definitely. Uh, I want to say I, I just want to reiterate that um, even though the narration didn't necessarily work, you had you had said that that um, the uh, well, God, I forgot his name, Donald Ray Pollock. Uh, did a good job with the narration. Like his his voice fits the the aesthetic, the theme of the movie, and, and I just want to sort of re- reiterate that. I think that I don't I don't know if like if you're into audiobooks, I don't know if he reads the audiobook version, but I I, I hope that he reads the audiobook version because I feel like oh no he doesn't. I just looked it up. Well, that's that's missed. That's the, yeah, that's a really missed opportunity because I think that he does a great job with the narration, like just delivery wise. Yeah. Like the cadence and everything. And I, and I would actually listen, like if the audiobook was narrated by him, I would, I would consider listening to it. Just either that or narrated by Robert Pattinson doing his, his <laughs> I wouldn't be able to take it seriously then though. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, I just, I, I, I although it. now that you said that, I do want to hear Robert Pattinson narrating the part where, the guy puts the jar of spiders on his face. <laughs> oh my god! Uh, all right, let's give uh, this a score. Kevin, what are you going to give the devil all the time? I give it like a five, right down the middle. Yeah, I'm sitting at uh, like a five and a half, six for this one. Uh, like I said, enjoyed the performances. Uh, I thought that overall it was fine. <laughs> But it didn't. It didn't really do much to sort of wow me. Uh, all right, let's talk about someone watching. Uh, since we had off last week, I'm not sure whose turn it is. We'll just start with you, Kevin. Okay, I got I got Nightbreed, 1990, Clive Barker. Ah, that's right. You you mentioned yeah, but, that you wanted to talk about this. Yeah, Nightbreed. I'm I'm pretty much I'm like a street preacher with Nightbreed. I see you out. I'm going to stop you and ask if you've seen Nightbreed. And if you haven't, you should, without a doubt. This is on Amazon Prime. And man, I just wish there was more Clive Barker movies. I know. Because it's so disappointing that there's only, what, four? Yeah. Yeah, maybe three or three or three or four. Three. And it's just, there's just so much. They're just so fantastic. Like everything about them, like like the mythology, you know, the world building, the costuming, the effects. Like it's all just unbelievable. It's just so much fun. And Nightbreed, I think, might be it might be my favorite out of his movies. I love Nightbreed. We we talked about Nightbreed on the '90s podcast. Um, at some, it was an it was a Halloween episode. I can't remember which one, but we definitely talked about it. And I kind of espoused my love for Nightbreed on that show. Everything about Nightbreed, I think any any of these these like eighties nineties movies that like just dive headfirst into the prosthetics and just let the effects crew go nuts with creature design. I, I love like yeah. I recently oh, got um. Not- they're, they're, this is just sort of a tangent, but they're 
releasing the movie Little Monsters with Fred Savage on Blu-ray very soon. And um, I got a copy on Blu-ray, and I can't wait to go back and revisit that. Nice. Well, it's even like they introduced, like, I guess, the like the main the main monsters of Midian and Nightbreed. And you're all, you know, like the character design, monster design, the prosthetics, everything. You're like, this is fantastic. I love this. Great. Great creativity. Enjoy all this. But the further the movie goes along, they go deeper and deeper into Midian. And it just gets bigger and bigger and just so much more expansive. And it's just so impressive. Like, especially like at the end when it's a full out war. And you're just like, yes. Like, yeah. this doesn't have, like, you no, know, that we don't do this anymore. Yeah. I miss it so much. It's like a whole city. It's a whole city of, like, mm-hmm. mutant people, and everyone looks and is completely different than the other ones. Like, they all have different, like, abilities and stuff. And, like, I, I was talking about this when we, on, when we were reviewing it on the show, and, like, how shitty would it be to, to be the one where you find out, like, you, you have... Craig Sheffer, who, you know, when he gets his powers, he still pretty much looks like a human, you know, (laughs) like he still looks like he could pass as being a human. But then there's the ones that like, they're like their bones disappear. (laughs) Like they don't have bones anymore. And they're just a blob. (laughs) There's that one guy that they show like, I think only like two or three times. And it's only in passing when you're like walking through that area. It looks like he's on like a landing. And he's just kind of stuck there because he's essentially a turkey with a head coming out of his stomach and he can't <laughs> yeah. really move. And like, that's all he is. And it was just, you're right. Like if you would, you know, you get the Midian and they're like, we're going to transform you. You are now a turkey man. And you're just like, what the fuck? <laughs> so you, know, you live on this landing now. You no longer have any bones. Enjoy being a blob. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, what? <laughs> At least give me a moon for a face. You gotta wonder if the uh, the McDonald's remember the McDonald's Moon Man? Yeah, like that's all I think about when I see that character. And I don't know know. which one came first, but (laughs) somebody ripped off of somebody else. I love it, and I just I like the idea of McDonald's ripping off Clyde Barker. It's more it's more interesting that way than the flip side. I um I also made a a video that's up on our YouTube channel. I play the Nightbreed video games. They actually made Nightbreed video yeah. games, two of them that they released to coincide with this movie and the the games are really bad. Oh, I can it, imagine. It was supposed to be 3. They were supposed to make a trilogy of games, but they only made two <laughs> because they were I'm so bad. They got the two. I'm surprised we got the two. Let's be honest. But, it, like, not only do you have the monster thing going on, but, like, David Cronenberg's character, like, the serial killer, like, button eyes or whatever the fuck he is. Yeah, the mask. Like, yeah, he's creepy as hell, man. Mm-hmm. And I just, I, it, and that aspect of the story is so creepy to me. Yeah. That you have this, this guy going to a doctor and he's going through these, you know, essentially recounting these dreams. And then David Cronenberg is like, okay, I'm, I'm going to make all of these come true. Well, that's the other thing is the whole Midian thing like that in and of itself could be a movie, but then you add in the whole serial killer angle and that just adds this a whole other dimension to it. Fucking masterpiece. 
Yeah, I, lo- I love Nightbreed. Uh, oh, man. I-, I can't really top Nightbreed, honestly. Like, the, the stuff that I watched has been <laughs> not great. Uh, first, I'll, t- I'll, t- I'll mention um, this documentary that's on Amazon. You can rent it called Pretending I'm a Superman, the Tony Hawk video game story. Oh, Jesus Christ, Adam. <laughs> okay, let me just... Let me just tell you why I watched this. The new, so they remastered yeah, I, Tony Hawk's Pro Skater I one and two, and they released that. And I, so I've been playing a lot of Tony Hawk, and I was just, you know, feeling that nostalgia, and I was really loving it. And then uh, I knew that this documentary was released recently, so I was like, yeah, let, let me just just give it a look. It was like an afternoon. I was didn't have anything else to do, so I was like, let me just throw this on. Uh, and it's worse than I had imagined. I mean, talk about a documentary that just doesn't need to exist. This is it. Like, they don't they don't really get into anything. Like, there's no meat here. Like, they briefly talk about how they, they decided to make the game and stuff, but it's not a very interesting story. Like, there's just nothing to it. And there's certain aspects of it that they just... They don't get into at all. Like, you know, maybe, maybe talk about all of the games. Maybe talk about the shitty Tony Hawk five that came out like a year or two ago that was just a buggy mess and didn't even work right. And the reason that they've released it is because they wanted to keep the license and like do a deep dive. If you're going to make a documentary about this, just do a deep dive. And also like, I mean, even the title bothers me the tony hawk video game story like it makes me feel like the person who directed this ludwig ger doesn't even know what is not familiar with the games at all like it's called tony hawk's pro skater so why would you call it the tony hawk video game story it's just everything about it feels cheap and i I think someone on um yeah andy young on letterboxd said in his review, essentially a filmed Wikipedia page. And at one point they literally filmed the Wikipedia page. And uh, that's, that's exactly what this is. It's just, it's nothing. It's nothing of a movie. They interview, I mean, they interview some cool people like they interview Eric Costin and Steve Caballero and Rodney Mullen, all the, all the, you know, main people from the first two games. But, yeah, no. I could have told you. I mean, I knew I had a feeling, but I was, you know, as I said, I was playing the games, feeling nostalgic, and I uh, just wanted a f- entertaining little story about the Tony Hawk games. This is not really that. Incredible. Well, uh, after Nightbreed, David Cronenberg, so I watched David Cronenberg movie, The Dead Zone from 1983, mm. also on Amazon Prime. Christopher Walken, and this is Cronenberg doing uh, Stephen King, mm-hmm. where you know Christopher Walken's a school teacher. He ends up getting in a car crash, and he's in a coma for five years. And he develops this new ability. Right, he touches your hand. Something bad happens to you. He has that vision and jolts him, which is really interesting when they do this. I mean, man, it's like a big time jolt to his system. And, uh, you know, then he quickly realizes that he can kind of, like, help you out. You know, 
he can give you a heads up. Like, hey, this is going to happen. So, you know, your house is on fire. Your daughter's about to die. Maybe call the fire department. And he's saving lives. But also at first, he's like, I, I don't want this. Can't handle it. This is too much for me. So he kind of like disappears. He moves away. He doesn't want any part of this. He just wants to tutor some kids. But then, he, you know, things get big with Martin Sheen as a, as a guy running for senator. And he happens, you know, Christopher Walken inadvertently happens to shake his hand and he finds out, you know, shit gets real because at some point Martin Sheen's going to become, you know, like the, the biggest murderer in all of human history. And it's just like the, the levels that this movie takes <laughs> because it's all, you know, like the first, you know, it's just your house is on fire. Save your daughter. Uh, he helps with an investigation because they have no leads. So they bring him in and he's able to help out. And then, he, you know, it's just, it's just small scale stuff for the most part. And then it takes it just this huge leap to just absolute worldly destruction. And of course you have Christopher Walken giving a great performance because it's, you know, it's the Christopher Walken that, that we've all essentially come to see as kind of like a joke, right? But this is before that, before that happened, before he kind of came with caricature of himself. Mm-hmm. All in all, pretty solid movie. It feels, it feels very much like, you know, a Stephen King adaptation. It doesn't really feel like a David Cronenberg movie, which is surprising. I mean, you can definitely tell that this is like his most commercial, uh, like taking an easy to safe route type film for him. And I'm just wondering what, what this movie ended up uh, financing. You know what I mean? Cause they, they're like from the outset, just the idea of Cronenberg doing Stephen King is odd to me. Yeah. Yeah. I think it always, his, his movies seem to always work better when it's like his own ideas. Yeah. No, he does do a really good job. Like when Christopher Walken has the visions, that's where this movie shines. Like the way he films that mm-hmm. is really phenomenal. I remember liking the dead zone. Yeah. I enjoyed it. It was good. Like, I don't know what it is, but like Stephen King adaptations just have this like certain feel to them. And this is, you know, it's like a perfect encapsulation of that. Yeah. I saw the social dilemma directed by Jeff Orlovsky. This is a, an exploration of social media and the tactics that they use to get us addicted to social media and the possible dangerous impact that that could have on us as a society. For me, someone who is, I work in technology. It's, it's, there's not a lot new here. Like I'm, I was already sort of familiar with the tactics and things that they used, but uh, I think for a lot of people, this will be a really sort of interesting and hopefully eye opening documentary about the possible dangers of social media. The one thing that I didn't like is that it is so in between the like sort of standard talking head style stuff, they do these, like there's this like dramatization of like a family who has some people addicted to social media and like 
the impact that that has on on them as people and like the the sort of rift that it causes within their family and stuff like that and it felt really lame to me like i just was not into the the fictional aspect of this that that sort of intercut in with the documentary it just did not work for me at all like i didn't find any of it to be interesting and there were just there wasn't enough there it almost felt like when you're watching like like a like a christian movie like a fireproof or something where it has this like lame moral to it overall it's it's and it's got some good information in it but it's a little meh for me uh, I watched Golden Horns. This is also on Amazon Prime. This is a Russian movie from 1972, directed by Alexander Rao and uh, Viktor Makarov. And this is a like a fairy tale fantasy movie. And going into it, I was expecting more of a. I was thinking more of a, like a, an adult uh, kind of retelling, or at least presentation. But this is this is pretty much like a kids movie. Um, mm-hmm. Which is not necessarily bad. It's just my expectation was like way off course here. But with it being 1972, it's a Russian movie, fantasy, fairy tale type thing. And like the costuming and everything uh, felt a lot like Sigmund and the Sea Monsters, that type of thing. Those old shows. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's weird. It's definitely weird. It's, you know, the, there's two, uh, these twin girls. They're in the forest picking mushrooms and they end up like kind of going out of where they should be. And they end up in the forest of Baba Yaga and then she turns them into fawns and keeps them trapped. And then the family is like, Oh, we got to get our daughters back. So the mom goes out trying to find them. And then the, the, their, their brother comes out trying to find them. a bunch of weird stuff going on here. You got golden horns. The titular golden horn is this deer. This buck with huge antlers made out of gold and he helps people and they got some bandits trying to trying to kill him uh you have i think probably the best part of this is before the mother leaves the woman in the village is like i baked you this loaf of bread that way you have something to eat it's going to help you out she's like oh thank you very much she's out and about turns out this bread is a perfect ball and when she takes it out of the like the towel this bread has a face on it. I don't know how this woman bakes a movable face into this ball of bread, but this ball of bread will sing and it'll bounce on its own and lead you to where you need to go. So it's just, it's weird at times. And it's overall, it's not too bad. It's just no going into it that it's kind of a children's, a children's movie. Because there, there was this part of me that kept thinking, like, oh, well, maybe it'll, like, veer off into, you know, a little bit more darker. But it do, it doesn't. But overall, not too bad, Golden Horns. One other thing, Baba Yaga lives in this, like, little shack. And the shack is, like, it, it's a living thing. So it's just a massive shack. And... With two chicken legs. Oh yeah, that's um, that's like part of the lore. Yeah, that's... which is phenomenal. So it looks like 
essentially what you got is Big Bird from the feet up, and then it's just a shack instead of the big yellow bird. The the new Hellboy, the, the Hellboy that came out last year, uh, Hellboy fights Baba Yaga, and he fights the chicken leg house in it. Oh, yeah? Yeah. And I believe, uh, I believe in um, f- the Final Fantasy VII remake, you fight. I, I don't. They don't call it Baba Yaga, but it pretty much is. Anyway, I saw Coastal Elites. This is directed by Jay Roach. This uh, came out on HBO, HBO Max. Oh yeah. Uh, this is um, basically it's basically a play. Um, it is. It was shot in during the pandemic, so all of the actors are presumably at home, and it's just a series of monologues. Uh, so it begins in, uh, I want to say January of 2020, and then goes like there's like several months, and it it goes up to now, and um, you have Bette Midler, Caitlin Deaver. Daniel Levy, Sarah Paulson, and Issa Rae in there. Uh, so, tremendous cast, and they all give really, really great performances, and they're all sort of just reflecting on, you know, what's what's happening in the country with the pandemic and with Trump and all of that. And some of some of, I mean, each each one of them gives like maybe a fifteen to twenty five minute monologue. Some of them feel like they overstay their welcome a little bit. And I will say, like, if you're a centrist, if you're a Republican, if you're leaning towards the right at all, you will absolutely despise this movie. Oh, my God. This is a movie that is very specifically designed for liberals. Because uh, when you see it, you just you'll you'll know like it's. A movie that's like constantly ripping on Trump and the mishandling of the pandemic and all of that stuff, uh, which is fine for me, but uh, f- for anyone, anyone else, not that they would see this movie anyway. But yeah, overall, I I think that it had some really funny moments. It had some poignant moments. I m- mostly enjoyed the the monologues. I mean, Bette Midler, hers, unless I'm mistaken, I think that she just straight up just delivers hers without any kind of like cuts or anything. I mean, she just destroys hers. I mean, it's, she's so good. Um, but you know, it's fine for what it is. It's, okay. it's fine. Like I, I, I slapped this in the old Google machine and it popped up. And like, as soon as it popped up, it's everything that I'm just like, Oh, this is, this looks gross. Yeah. Um, this is awful. It's like, I don't know if you can make something worse. It, um, yeah, I, I, I can't really recommend it just because I, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't know who this is for. Like, I don't know that it's doing any good. It's, it's for coastal elites. It's just in the title. Uh, yeah, I guess that's what it is. <laughs> oh man. Cause I don't know. Like at one point it seems like it's, sort of poking fun at coastal elites like like Bette Midler's character especially but it's like is is it appealing to them or sort of poking fun at them 
maybe a little bit of both. I don't know. It had its moments, but overall, I really can't recommend it. Yeah, yeah, that's awful. Uh, watch The Ghost Who Walks, available on Netflix. This is from 2019, directed by Cody Stokes. Uh, it's a like a crime crime movie starring Garland Scott, plays the main character who is in jail. He decides to rat out the entire crime family, which essentially marks him as a dead man. But he does this in order to get out of prison early so he can see his daughter. Never met his daughter. So, I mean, so he gets out, he's with it, witness protection, all that, ditches them to see his daughter. This all happens around Christmas time, essentially over the course of two days. And, uh, of course, the crime family's after him, want to kill him. But you know, you know what makes this more difficult for him is his girlfriend. She's now married to the crime boss, right? Mm-mm. So it's not just that he's trying to see his daughter and the crime family's after him. They're trying to kill him, right? His daughter lives with the crime boss. So, like, there has to be a confrontation at some point in time. It's inevitable. So, like, the beginning and end of this movie are really solid. The the middle kind of sags a little bit because essentially what you have is him kind of like waiting in order to like meet his daughter. So it's him just essentially laying low. Uh, But they do, they do do some stuff in order to, you know, set some other stuff up down the road. Uh, Most of which is he spends time with uh, Frank Mosley's character, this guy named Stitches. It's kind of this like, uh, petty criminal type guy swears a lot. You know, he's kind of there for the, for levity. And performances from those two, really solid. Everyone else is kind of a mixed bag. Uh, there are parts where, you know, the, like the action kind of gets ramped up and it is, it is a pretty slick looking movie at times. So all in all, I would say it's, I would give it a light recommend. I was kind of surprised by it. I have to get this a look. This looks, this looks pretty good. Yeah, it's not bad. The last one I saw is uh, This Is Paris, which is the Paris Hilton documentary directed by Alexandra Dean. This is on... Did you watch, like, all documentaries? I, it wasn't... I mean, no, but I, I watched a lot of 90s movies in preparation for the 90s podcast, and then uh-huh. I, I watched a couple things that I can't talk about yet on the show. But anyway... I did watch the Paris Hilton documentary. This is on YouTube, so you can give it a look on there. I think it's free. I think it might be free on YouTube. I don't, I don't know. I have the YouTube premium. I signed up for a trial uh, like a couple uh, weeks ago. I was about to say, did you pay for it? Like, uh, no, I, I yeah, I signed up for the, the YouTube premium trial because I was um, getting really annoyed with the ads on YouTube. <laughs> so I was like, all right, enough of these ads. Anyway, um, this is actually a pretty good documentary. It dives into the life of Paris Hilton and it follows her around and you get to know sort of the real her, you know, like no, nobody really knows the real Paris Hilton. In fact, I'm not even sure she knows that at one point in the movie, she says that she doesn't really even know who she is anymore, that the, the sort of veneer, the, the act that she portrayed for so many years sort of just took over who she was and you know like the you know like the voice that she did and stuff like that's not her real 
voice and she has like a hard time even not doing that sort of whatever voice that was that she did that she did um so it's actually kind of a kind of a fascinating documentary about her life and it goes to some really interesting places because you learn more about this like sort of childhood trauma that she endured and where the the steps that she's taking taking to prevent other uh girls and women from in from having that same trauma put onto them so uh, yeah i think it's it's worth a look and i think that it does a good job in in showing Paris Hilton in, in quite a different light now i can also see how some people maybe more cynical people will look at this and just be like, Oh, this is her just trying to correct her image or something like that. But that's not really what I, how I felt after watching it. So yeah, I would say it's a light recommend for this one. All right. Let's talk about some VOD releases on the 22nd. We have JC bring cutting to the truth. So check that out if you're looking for a Jay Sebring biopic. Who? Jay Sebring, Legacy of the Revolutionary 60s Hollywood Trendsetter. Okay. He was um he was someone who was killed by the Manson family. Uh okay. He was, he was one of the victims, unfortunately. We have stunt women. The Untold Hollywood Story. This is a documentary about stunt women. Cool. Yeah. Which I, I think is deserved. However, um like I don't know there's some like really famous stunt women that don't appear to be in this movie, so I, I don't know how thorough it is. It seems, it seems like that's too expansive of a topic. Like that should be like a series. I'm just wondering because it, it looks like it's focusing on like sort of very modern stunt women. And I'd be interested in going back further, you know, looking at the history. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I could be completely wrong about that, but on the 22nd, we also have the swerve. Mm-hmm. Uh, looks like a thriller. Maybe on Netflix on the 23rd, we have Enola Holmes. That's the one with, um, Millie Bobby Brown as Sherlock Holmes' sister. Uh, Henry Cavill, I believe, plays Sherlock Holmes in this one. Mm. Could be fun. Who knows? You don't know. I'm tired of, I'm tired of Sherlock. <laughs> move on. We have... Well, it'll never move on because it's in the public domain, I believe. So we'll, we'll be forever getting Sherlock Holmes. Because anybody can no. do it. Well, then I'll do it. There you go. Okay, I'm going to make a Sherlock Holmes movie. Do it. Your dog can be Watson. That'd be funny. No, my dog's going to be Sherlock. Okay, well, yeah, that'll work too. Uh, On the 25th, we have Rogue Warfare, Death of a Nation. Damn. Failure's not an option. (laughs) That sounds bleak. Yeah. I feel like we just got one of these Rogue Warfare movies. Like, just a couple months ago, it seems. Uh, we have a movie called Dead. This is a virtual theatrical release. This is a, a horror comedy, I believe. It's about a guy who can see ghosts. 
He's a stoner who can see ghosts, and he ends up meeting up with a, the ghost of a cop who needs to find a, to find a serial killer. Oh, boy. Could be funny. Uh, also on the 25th, we have Ava. This is with Jessica Chastain and Common and John Malkovich, Colin Farrell. It's quite the cast. She's a deadly mercenary who works for a black ops organization and specializes in high-profile hits. Ah, uh, that sounds awful. Ava, kill or, kill or be killed is the tagline on that one. Come on, guys. That's directed by Tate Taylor, too. No, thank you. I don't even know who Absolutely. that is. Who is that? He directed Ma and The Help. Oh. No. Yeah? No. No. That's about it for VOD. As always, check the website at filmpulse.net for the latest entries in that calendar. We're always keeping that up to date, and there's been a lot of changes, so be sure to check that out. On Blu-ray this week, we have Full Metal Jacket 4K. It's got a cool-looking cover. We got Whiplash coming out on 4K. We have From Dusk Till Dawn. I feel like that's been released a billion times. We have The Faculty mm-hmm. from 1998, The Wind Rises from 2013, the Rob Zombie trilogy, Ooh. and we have Scream 3 movie collection. That's Scream 1, 2, and 3. Not 4. Not good enough nope. to get Scream 4 in there. Just the uh-huh. first three. Uh, the Mask of the Red Death, starring Vincent Price. Now, this is actually an individual release, part of the... Vincent Price collection that's coming out, which contains six Vincent Price films. Uh, his work from 1960 to 71. So if you're a, you're a Price head, you're a big Price head, check that out. All right. We have Serendipity from 19, uh, sorry, we have Serendipity from 2001. That's the uh, John Cusack rom-com with Kate Beckinsale. Looks like Jackie Brown is getting some sort of new Blu-ray release. Uh, it doesn't these look like they're just uh, like re-release? Like it doesn't look like there's anything new about these. I love yeah. you to death from 1990. That's probably the first time that's on Blu-ray. It's got to be. Uh, the Crow from 1994 getting a new Blu-ray release. The Others from 2001. That was horrible. Uh, Mimic, three movie collection. So we got three Mimic movies in there. I don't know if that's all of them or not. I'm not. I didn't know there was three. I didn't. I don't think I did either, actually. Yeah, it looks like there's a whole bunch of re-releases here, like Sin City, Kill Bill, Pulp Fiction, Gangs of New York. There's there's some kind of like thing here where they're they're dumping a whole bunch of things out here on on Blu-ray that are already on Blu-ray. So I'm not sure why that's necessary. So I'm just going to skip over all the rest of these. Baby teeth is coming out. I can't really recommend that one. Although a lot of people liked it. Yeah. Uh, the dead ones, some kind of horror movie. Uh, the switch. That's the comedy with Jennifer Aniston and Jason Bateman. Extract another Jason Bateman comedy. Iceland is best from earlier this year. Watched the trailer for this one and it looks so bad. Uh, don't read this on a plane. 
The Search for Simon from 2013. It's got a really silly looking cover. <laughs> Here's a movie just called Shush. Shh. Shh. Yeah, yeah. S H H H H. Shh. How many H's? Well, interestingly, there's there's four H's on the poster with an exclamation point. Now okay. the listing only has three H's. Okay. No, I'm 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 incorrect. It has four. It just looked like three on the smaller font. So this is, it, 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 interestingly enough, there's a lot of movies called Shh. <laughs> I, I I believe it's the, it looks maybe like the one from 2020. Maybe. I, I mean, this yeah. is 2014 on the listing. Oh my god. Yeah, cuz that's a short film. Nope, it's not that. Yeah, this says 2014, 80 minutes. It's a horror movie. Okay, there it is. We need more movies that the title is just a sound rather than an actual word. Like, I want a, I want a movie that's just like... Pff, pff. <laughs> Did you guys go see this weekend? That's what I want. Uh, what about Criterions this week? Oh, we have one. And that's Christ Stop Eddie Bully from uh, 1979, Francesco Rossi. You can get that on Blu-ray. It's got a new, uh, new translation, new subtitles, a couple of documentaries on there. There you go. Know. Do it. I think that's going to wrap it up for this week. Thank you so much for listening. You can send us your questions and topics to podcastatfilmpulse.net. You can follow us on Twitter, at FilmPulseNet, at FilmPulseKevin. And if you have a minute, consider reviewing us on your podcast platform of choice. For Kevin Rakestraw, my name's Adam Patterson. We'll see you next week.